Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. This year, we are walking through the whole Bible together as a church family, day by day and week by week. We meet at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person or catch our online gatherings by checking out our website at www.newgarden.church. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Sunday. Welcome to week 38 in our series, Long Story Short. Now, if you've been with us, you know we've been taking a year to read through the whole Bible, and we only have one week left after this one in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament before we turn the page and we start reading the Gospels. Now, next week is a special Sunday for our in-person gatherings because it's a family Sunday. So all of our kids will be together in the auditorium, and our content will be catered to our kids. But I often find the kids' lessons are simple enough for even me to understand. So hopefully we will enjoy that next week. Today is also a bit different because in our in-person gathering, our lesson is being led by Josh and not me, but I don't want to leave you, our online family, without something to listen to. So today may be a bit shorter than normal, but nobody ever complains about being short, right? So today... We've come to the last book in the Old Testament. Cue the music and applause. The crowd goes wild. You know, we've made it to the book of Chronicles. And how does the writer of Chronicles decide to get the party started? With nine chapters of genealogies. Nothing says you should read this important book like nine chapters of names, right? But what may seem boring to us is actually quite exciting to the original audience. The story begins with page one of the Bible. The first word of First Chronicles is Adam. And then from there, the chronicler has woven the entire story of Abraham's family leading up to David and beyond into a series of elaborately arranged genealogies. Now, for ancient Israelite readers, these genealogies weren't just a matter of family lines but they were a shorthand way of retelling the stories of all of these characters in just a short form. These names would have provoked whole memories of earlier stories from Scripture. The genealogies were meant to activate all kinds of mental links and collective stories deeply ingrained in Hebrew culture. And then once you read through the genealogies, we come to a very brief story of Saul's reign and failure as a king in chapter 10, and then quickly move on to King David. But this long list of names is doing something beyond trying to put us to sleep with names we can barely pronounce. They're the introduction to a retelling of Israel's entire story, focusing on the future hope of a messianic king like David, who will restore the temple and God's kingdom over the nations. The book of Chronicles is composed as one unified literary work. It's produced by an anonymous author, perhaps Ezra wrote the majority of it, but uh, an author living in Jerusalem about 200 years after the return from exile. Now, I think these two books in our Bible are often overlooked because in a large part of it, it's just a re telling of the story you just read in 1 Samuel and 1 Kings. And so when you get to 1 Chronicles, after reading Samuel and Kings, we can easily assume it's just a repeat of what we just read. But this book is way, way more than that. 
The Chronicler was living at a time when the Jewish people had long resettled in Jerusalem after returning from the Babylonian exile. Things were okay, but there was this growing awareness that God's ancient covenant promises to Abraham, Moses, and David, which were reaffirmed by the prophets, had not yet come to pass. They awaited a messianic king that Isaiah prophesied about, who would rebuild the temple and invite all nations into God's kingdom. But where was this new David? One of the main goals of the Chronicler was to reshape the stories of Israel's past to rekindle hope for the future. He had before him most of the books of the Old Testament. If you pay attention, he's taken a material from the Torah and Joshua and Kings and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Psalms and Proverbs and, and more, and he retells the stories of David and Israel's kings in a way that turns them into models and portraits of a future king that they should hope for. The book of Chronicles is kind of like a summary of the Old Old Testament. This author has reflected on the scriptures and offers an interpretation of Israel's past that highlights their future hope. These books were designed to sustain the hopes and prayers of God's people as they wait for God to fulfill his ancient promises. So we need to be careful not to skim through Chronicles because we've already read the same stories in 2 Samuel. A surface reading of these books just won't give us an awareness of the chronicler's genius in editing and compiling his work. You have to go deeper and compare the stories in Chronicles with his sources, especially 2 Samuel. And when you compare carefully, you're going to find all kinds of stories about David in 2 Samuel that the chronicler has omitted, and all kinds of new stories that the chronicler has included. And so what's the result? Well, in 1 and 2 Samuel, we saw the rise of David as the underdog who Best the giant Goliath, outwits his adversaries, unifies the people. David is presented as a king after God's own heart, who sings his praises, dances you know, crazily before the Lord without regard for his own dignity, and is an all-around upstanding man and king. Well, you know, except for his adulterous scandal that resulted in murder, Bathsheba, Uriah, and then don't forget the stories of his homicidal, sex-crazed children who perform heinous acts of abuse and murder. Um, maybe upon reflection, the story of David shows us a mixed bag kind of king. First and second Samuel present us with a portrait of David that was constantly fleeing powerful adversaries like Saul and his own son Absalom, uh, resolving to hide in the hills of the Judean wilderness. And we also saw the weakness of David's character when he ordered that his successor uh, assassinate both his political opponents and those who created more tension than desirable during David's tumultuous years of struggle. Now, it's important to notice that most all of these stories, negative stories in First and Second Samuel that portray David as a weak, morally flawed individual are missing from Chronicles. It's like the chronicler purposely chose not to add the messy stuff, which raises the question, why? Well, let's eliminate one possible interpretation. The chronicler was not trying to whitewash David's story, denying that David was a flawed human being. He knows perfectly well that anybody can read that version of David's story that portrays him as a mix of good and evil. The chronicler is doing something else. He is using all of the best moments in David's story and creating a literary portrait of a greater than David. The chronicler has also read and pondered the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, who pointed towards a new David, that is a future king from David's line, who would be the kind of ruler that Israel's monarchy never quite lived up to. Even historical David was not the ideal king, but he was a good start. Good enough that the chronicler adapts the best 
past portrait of David to become an image of the future hoped for David that Israel was still waiting for after the exile. So in this way, the chronicler is acting as the first commentary on the Old Testament. He's offering us a prophetic interpretation of Israel's history that's meant to guide the reader's attention forward to the hope of a coming king who will restore order and pursue Yahweh as David once did, at least mostly. So in other words, first and second chronicles are a, a prophetic work. That is, they represent God. God's point of view on Israel's past, and they announce that exile and disappointment is not the end of the story. This author is offering the same prophetic hope we find in the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and in the rest of the prophets. But the chronicler is not only in the business of omitting material from the earlier stories of David and his descendants, he also adds to them. He had access to all kinds of traditions and archival materials that told stories about David and Israel's kings that you don't find in 2 Samuel and 2 Kings. In David's story alone, there are seven chapters of new material in Chronicles that work to further paint the portrait of David as an ideal king. For example, we discover that although David did not oversee the building of the temple, he did begin the planning and resource building processes. He's even portrayed as a new Moses. The chronicler tells us that he received the blueprints for the Jerusalem temple as a pattern shown him by God, just as Moses was shown the pattern for building the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, this use of David as an image of a future hope extends to the portrait of Solomon presented in Chronicles. The chronicler includes more stories about Solomon's failures than he did for David. However, he also adds new material to Solomon's story to make him a figure of a future hope for those living centuries after the return from exile. Take, for example, this completely new portion of Solomon's temple blessing presented in Chronicles. So Solomon finished the house of Yahweh and the king's palace and successfully completed everything that he planned on doing in the house of Yahweh and in his palace. Then Yahweh appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house so that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there always. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked to do according to everything that I've commanded you and keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David, saying, you shall not like a man to be a ruler in Israel. The chronicler is making new presentation from old material in a way that will speak volumes to the audience during the post-exilic period. These words from Solomon are reaching across the boundaries of time to pull the readers back to the time of the covenant, but also create expectant hope in this future day of the Lord. So in this way, Chronicles is functioning both as a commentary of the Old Testament scriptures, but also as a theological statement in its own right. So what does that mean for us? Well, the book of Chronicles is a journey through the entire Old Testament that makes crystal clear that the story isn't over. We've looked at a couple examples this morning, but every page is brimming with more and more evidence of this future 
future prophetic hope, this coming king. And it wasn't just a cool theology for the chronicler. The book also has a, a pastoral message in that the book of Chronicles brings comfort and hope to generations of God's people who are tempted towards despair or apathy. During a time when many people wondered if God was ever going to fulfill his promises, the chronicler retold the story of their collective past in order to rekindle hope for the future. May the same be true for us. As we read and ponder these stories, may we find our own faith and hope reignited as we still await the return of the world's true king. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week. 